0: As Alex comes to preach. Thank you so much, church. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Um, The title of this sermon is A Call to Sacrifice or call to sacrificial living. If you would, permit me a few minutes to reciprocate. And thank you, church. And um, just want to take a few minutes to, to express my gratitude for these last 20 years. So in particular to Tim, um, thank you for pastoring me and my family these last years. 20 years. God has used you and this church to build a strong, solid foundation in my marriage to Melinda. God has used you and this church to train us to be faithful parents when we first came as young parents. Most of you don't know this, but we came. We were a family of three. Alex was about just a year and a half. So we were the young families that came, and through, through Tim's leadership and the equipping of this church, we've been able to parent them in a way that brought honor to the Lord. We often get compliments about our boys, and it's due to God using Tim and this church to equip us as young parents, to raise them up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord, and so thank you for that, Tim. God has used your leadership and this church, the equipping of this church to give us a conviction for faithful financial stewardship. It is because of Tim's leadership and the equipping of this church that as a family, we have been debt free financially for almost 10 years now. And it's not a praise to me or Melinda, it's a praise to God because of his word that did a mighty work in us, and we did it with a single family income. We're debt free. And so to that, I attribute to your leadership, Tim, thank you so much. You've taught us, you've taught me personally to know what it looks like to be frugal so that we can give generously. It's amazing. Second to Melinda, you probably know me the best. And you love me. Even in my pride, in my shortcomings, and all the ugliness in me. You love me through that. As you said, for the past 14 years, we've worked together closely in gospel ministry and taking care of your, for each and every one of you who are here um, the last 14 years, Tim and I have worked closely together. And I want you to know church that there was not one sharp word exchanged between me and Tim. And that is really a testimony to your character of humility and integrity. I loved watching you uphold integrity when we had to make decisions as an elder team on your behalf, church. You have mentored me, equipped me. You have trained me in so many ways. You have prepared me in so many ways. And now you're showing me the door. You've shown me the door because you believe in our gospel mission together. Thanks for helping me leave my comfort zone here at Trinity. And for supporting me and my family in what we believe God is doing in our family, in me, and as a local church in Titusville. I sure appreciate how you have pastored the church through these last few weeks. To Kim... Thank you so much for loving Melinda and me. Thank you for how you have been such a faithful friend to Melinda and me. And how you've cared for Melinda and me these past 20 years. I can't remember a single time that you weren't there for her and for my family. I can't. You're always there. Your love for God your love for his people is so immense and we are so grateful that when you expressed God's love for you and you expressed God's your love for God that we were able to benefit from that and i know that many of you have experienced the same care and love that i'm speaking about your desire your passion your conviction To love and care for us as a family never waned. It only increased these last 20 years. I love that we got to raise our families together. As I said earlier, we came here as a family of three, and it's only appropriate that on my last Sunday, we're leaving as a family of five. All that to say, our kids were born into this church, and you, church, helped raise our kids. Thank you for the part you played in each of their lives. Yeah, so I love that we got to raise our families together. Kim, thank you so much for showing me what it looks like to love God. To love Jesus and what that looks like in action. To the pastor elder team, thank you so much for your conviction to always make decisions informed by God's word on behalf of the church. Thank you, pastor elders, for spending countless amounts of hours preaching and teaching and serving and caring for this church. I love that as a team, we didn't all agree in everything, and that's a good thing. But what I loved is that through humility, we fought for unity, and thank you for that. Thank you for how you have sought for me and my family all these years, almost 10 years now as an elder team. and to your to you church most of you don't know this but this church sent me to the pastors college you not only sent me but you sent my entire family to maryland so that i could be trained and equipped in pastoral ministry this church raised enough money to pay for the tuition this church continued to pray for my salary all the while having to fill in for my church responsibilities while I was away. Who who does that except for a loving and true family? And when I returned, you allowed me to practice my preaching on you. When I didn't preach well, you were patient with me, and you still encouraged me. When my grammar wasn't all that good, and it still isn't, you looked past that. And you looked for what God had to say through his word. You, church, have invested so much in me. And with the help of God, it is my desire that your investment will bear much gospel fruit for his glory and for the good of his church. Thank you so much, Trinity Community Church. Well, I want to begin the sermon this morning with a brief introductory thought. One pastor once said, there are droves of people, including sincere, genuine Christians who go to conferences and and seminars and churches in search of what God can do for them. While others have legitimate needs, like a need for physical healing or financial needs or a need for relational reconciliation, unfortunately, some are after prosperity only. What can God do for me so that I can be materially rich? This is exactly the opposite of what Paul is after in our text today. What he's after in our text today is what we can do for God. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you this morning for giving us health, life, and breath. We thank you for blessing us with so many things that we daily take them for granted. So I pray that as you have given us health, life, breath, and strength, Help us to use those blessings as a leverage for the gospel to serve your church, to bring glory and honor to your name. Be with us now. Illumine our hearts and our minds to your word so that we may be transformed by the power of your word so that your bride, the church, may may look more like its Savior, Christ Jesus. And it is in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. On January 20th, 1961, President John F. Kennedy gave his inaugural address. His inaugural address brilliantly envisioned both children and adults to see the importance of public service. It is said that his historic words ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country, challenge every American to contribute in some way to the public good. In a similar way, this is what Paul is after in our text this morning. Chapter 12 and the rest of the book, it's not about what God can do for us. That's chapters one through 11. It's about what we can do for God. Here's the main burden of the sermon. God's mercies empowers us to live sacrificially. God's mercies empowers us to live a life of sacrifice. You see, church, Paul spent the first 11 chapters to help us See what God has already done so that we can rightly understand why we should live a life of sacrifice. Let me put it another way. Romans 12 moves from the doctrines of grace. It moves from the doctrine of salvation to life applications. So if you're taking notes, the first heading is this, in light of God's mercies, we are to offer our lives as a living sacrifice. Would you look with me again at verse one? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The word therefore there tells us that what Paul is about to say what he's about to exhort us is grounded in what he had already said in the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. The word therefore there is very important because it helps us to understand rightly to obey God's commands with a heart of gratitude. The doctrines of grace found in chapters 1 through 11 leads us to a life of sacrifice Motivated by the gospel and marked by gratitude. God's commands, the commands that we see here in our text, they're good and they are holy. They are given to us. Genuine Christians. Not as optional to obey. They are to be obeyed, but... Obeyed, motivated by grace. You see, if you only read chapters 12 through 16 to the neglect of chapters 1 through 11, you will live a life of legalism motivated by works instead of living a life of sacrifice motivated by gratitude. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of of God. Paul's appeal is grounded in the mercies of God. So what are the mercies of God? Let's survey for a moment the landscape of chapters 1 through 11. Chapter 1 verse 18 says, at one time we were ungodly and unrighteous and by our unrighteousness we suppressed the truth before coming to saving faith, we did not honor God or give thanks to him. We were futile in our thinking and foolish in our hearts, and our hearts were darkened, verse 21. You see, at one time, we exchanged God's glory for images resembling man, verse 21. At one time, we exchanged God's glory Hear me, church, for images resembling mortal man. We worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator, chapter one, verse 25. But now we have received His mercy through the saving power of the gospel, chapter one, verse 16. Church, we have been justified by grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Chapter 3, verses 24 and 25. Do you hear God's mercies here? Therefore, our lawless deeds are forgiven. Our sins are covered Our sin will not be counted against us, chapter 4, verses 7 through 8. That is the mercies of God, church. God did this while we were still weak, while we lacked moral strength, while we were still ungodly. Christ died for us, Romans 5, 6. While we were still his enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Romans 5, 10. We not only receive forgiveness of our sin, but we have been set free from sin and become slaves to his righteousness. Church, if we're going to be slaves for something, it's good to be slaves of righteousness. The Spirit of God now indwells in us. Romans eight nine. Do you hear the mercies of God? We are now sons and daughters of God, and we are led by the Spirit of God. Romans eight fourteen. The Holy Spirit now intercedes for us. Romans eight twenty six. Now God is working all things for good for those who love Him and for those who are called according to His purpose. Romans eight twenty eight. We are being conformed to the likeness of his son, Romans 8, 29. We have received the gift of mercy, peace, hope, and faith. Do you see God's mercies in chapters 1 through 11? In addition to that, in Ephesians 1, verse 3, God has already blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, by God's divine power, he has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness. Church, what more can we ask for from God? Paul loaded the front end of the book of Romans with the mercies of God so that we would live sacrificial lives motivated by gratitude of all that God has done for us. It is the mercies of God that compels us to live obedient lives and sacrificial living. Just to be clear, we don't live obedient lives. We don't live sacrificial lives so that we can earn God's mercies and grace. No, we do so because we receive God's mercies and grace. It is a result of his love and his faithfulness and his grace that we do this for his glory. He's given us all that we need. We don't do this to earn anything. We have it all. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. The word present, there carries with it Old Testament language of placing an offering on the Lord's altar. In the Old Testament, as you've read the Old Testament, the animal sacrifices and offerings were usually killed. They were slain, and so the sacrifices were dead, So verse one introduces an oxymoron. You see that? For us today, why don't we offer dead animals for sacrifices? Why do we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice? Here's why. Because the once and for all sacrifices has already been offered. Hebrews 10.10. Listen to Hebrews 9, 11, and 12. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, heaven, not by the means of the blood of goats and cows, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption for us. Jesus purchased our eternal redemption with his own precious blood. The lamb of God was slain in our place, church. And Jesus is the perfect example of a living sacrifice because he died obediently. He died for us, but he rose again. He rose again today. He is our living sacrifice. He is our perfect living sacrifice. He is our great high priest, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. He is our advocate, 1 John 1 2 or 2 1. He is our mediator, 1 Timothy 2 5. Therefore, church, God no longer requires sacrifices of dead animals. What he desires is for us to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. We are to offer up our whole bodies, mind, soul, heart, strength, as living sacrifices. Listen, when we rightly understand chapters one through 11, we will do so obediently with a heart full of gratitude. We offer all that we are and all that we have. People who understand chapters 1 through 11 live sacrificially with joy, with gladness. Have you ever seen people live sacrificially? I have and I do. And I see it all the time at Trinity. I saw it last Sunday. You do all of this to serve? You serve like this with joy? It's such a counterintuitive thing to do, isn't it? Because we all want to be served. It's such a countercultural thing. When you see people living sacrificially, oh goodness, it is a glorious sight. Because if you know what's going on in their hearts, you know that they are serving a glorious Savior. Yes. And He is worthy. Yes, yes. When they get all that God has done for them, they do it willingly. They even are willing to give up their future hopes and dreams. Listen to this radical quote from uh, David Livingston. He says this, People talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. By the way, he died there of a disease. Can that be called sacrifice, which is simply paid back as a small part of the great debt owing to our God, which we can never repay? Is that a sacrifice which brings its own reward of healthful activity, the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and bright hope of glorious destiny hereafter? Away with such a word, such a view, and such a thought. It is emphatically no sacrifice. Say, rather, it is a privilege, anxiety, sickness, suffering or danger now and then with a foregoing of the common conveniences and the charities of this life may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and sink but let this only be for a moment all these are nothing when compared with the glory with which shall hereafter be revealed in, in and for us i never made a sacrifice of this we ought not talk when we remember the great sacrifice which he made who left his father's throne on high to give himself for us. Yes. Amen. So church, in light of God's mercies, we are to offer up our lives, our bodies, yes. as a living sacrifice with a heart full of gratitude. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. When we offer up our bodies as a living sacrifice, we are to do so in a way that is set apart from the world for a specific purpose. In a more literal sense, that is what the word holy means in the original language for the original hearers. We are to serve God outwardly with the inward reality of the righteousness of Christ. Here's the point, church. We cannot look like the world and we cannot act like the world while we serve God with our bodies, with our lives. When we serve God, we are not only to be holy, but also acceptable to God. In the book of Malachi, the priests of the people of Israel offered sacrifices to the Lord. But here's what the priests were doing. They were offering up to sacrifice blind animals, sick and lame animals to God, which God considered as evil. You can see that in Malachi chapter 1, verse eight. Would you give a broken down gift to your spouse? Of course not, of course not. The priests were willing to offer polluted food on the Lord's altar. They were sacrificing blemished animals to God who delivered their people from the slavery of Egypt. To God, who provided for every need of theirs, to God who dwelt among this, to God who separated them from the other nations. And sadly today, church, there are genuine Christians who give God their leftovers. When you serve God, church, do you give him your best? Or do you only give him what's left over after you've pursued the pleasures of this world? Church, when we serve God, let's serve him with our best. Not because he needs our best, but because he's worthy of our best, church. He deserves our best in light of what he did in chapters 1 through, 12, or 1 through 11 in the book of Romans. He deserves all that we are and all that we have in sacrificial living. Why? Because he gave us his best, his only beloved son who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, for me and for you. He gave us his best so that we can give him our best. Not begrudgingly, but with a heart filled with gratitude. Trinity, when we live our lives set apart from the world, when we give God our best, that is when we sacrificially give ourselves to God in an acceptable way. Here's the second and last heading. In light of God's mercies, we are to, be, we are to live transformed lives. Look with me at verse two. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so as a living sacrifice, we are not to conform to this world. This, this word conform, the Bible uses it to express one's self, one's mind and character to another's pattern. I'll flesh that out more. It is It is used for the term masquerading or putting on an act to follow another pattern. Paul used the word conform as a verb in the passive imperative tense. The words do not makes it prohibitive, which means that we are not to allow ourselves to be conformed to this world by this world. Why? Because the world wants to conform us through our sinful desires. Why? Because this world represents this evil age, this present evil age. This world is dominated by Satan. The God of this world is Satan. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Church, we cannot masquerade ourselves acting like the world as living sacrifices to God. This is another oxymoron this would not be presenting our whole bodies as holy and acceptable to God. Listen to this. Instead, outwardly, we are to become who we already are inwardly. And how can we do this? By being transformed. By being transformed. One commentary said the Greek verb of transform is the word metamorpho, which means or suggests a change in outward appearance it is a term from which we get metamorphosis. In the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew used this word to describe Jesus' transfiguration or metamorpho. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun and his clothes become white as light, Matthew 17, verse two. And so for a brief moment there, church, Jesus, inner deity, his divine heavenly glory was shown outwardly. Church, when we fix our eyes on Jesus, we are being transformed inwardly into the same image of Christ from one degree to another by the power of the Holy Spirit. We know this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And so to live a sacrificial life, holy and acceptable to God, we are to show our inner realities outwardly are you with me church we cannot masquerade looking like and acting like the world as a body of of believers as a living sacrifice we need to show our inward realities christ living within us in our outside realities why because of the watching world because of the watching world How can we be a witness of Jesus Christ if our body, our outer witness looks like the world? Church, by the mercies of God, let us shine brightly the light of Jesus Christ. And so if we are not to allow ourselves to be conformed to this world by the world, but be transformed, then how can we be transformed? How can we experience transformation? Paul says, by the renewing of our minds. The path of our outward transformation goes through our minds. It happens through the renewing of our minds. Here's the glorious truth, though. The one who does the work of transformation is the Holy Spirit, and he does it through the word of God. We can experience the renewal of our minds by meditating on God's word. The world wants to conform us through our sinful desires. It exerts outside pressure to conform us to the world, to the pattern of this world. But We can fight against that sinful desires that we have by memorizing God's word. King David put it this way in Psalm 19 verse 11. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Paul says in Romans 13 verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions of the flesh to gratify its desires. Put on the righteousness of Jesus Christ and make no provisions of the flesh to gratify its desires. The word of God is the power to transform us, church. We can experience the renewal of our minds through prayer. When we pray and we yield our wills to God's will, then our wills are transformed to align his perfect will, which is good and acceptable we can experience transformation, the the renewal of our minds through worship and song. As we sing the mercies of God, the mercies of God informs our hearts, which informs and transforms our minds. Verse 2 has a purpose statement. That By testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Church, our minds are to be continually renewed so that in our thinking, in our reasoning, in our spiritual understanding, we are able to discern God's will, which is good, perfect, and holy. So let us renew our minds by meditating on God's word, by hiding it, Within our hearts. Let us put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us put on His righteousness and make no provisions of the flesh to gratify its desires. Let's walk by the Holy Spirit and make and not gratify the desires of the flesh. Galatians 5:16. Do you know the truth of God's word that is that He gives us divine power to destroy the strongholds? Our battle is not a battle of the flesh. It's a spiritual battle. And the good news of 2 Corinthians 10, 4, and 5 is that he gives us divine power to destroy the strongholds in our lives. When our minds are renewed, that is when we can live a life of sacrifice that is holy and acceptable to God. In conclusion, church, I'm going to end with verses 3 through 8. In chapter 12, I think it's a good way to end with application. In our sacrificial living, we are to be humble servants. We are not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. We, have part, we are part of one body with many members. And we all we all have been given grace gifts to serve one another. So as a living sacrifice, I want to exhort your church. Use your grace gifts. If you have the gift of prophecy, then use it in proportion to your faith. If you have the gift of serving, then serve in light of God's mercies for his glory. If you have the gift of teaching, then, then teach in children's ministry. Teach in one of the equipped classes if you have the gift of exhortation, then exhort individual members of this body and or exhort the whole body of Christ. If you have the gift of giving, continue to give generously. If you're not giving generously, then pray and ask God to help you grow in your giving. God is worthy of our best church. If you have the gift of giving, then again, give faithfully, consistently, systematically, and generously. If you have a leadership gift, then serve as a servant leader with diligence. If God has given you the gift of mercy, then the Apostle Paul says, show it with cheerfulness. Church, I believe in verses three through eight, Paul gave us a great picture of what it looks like for sacrificial living, for the glory of God and for the good of his church. Would you stand with me? Father, we thank you For your mercies. We thank you for the brief time that we got to walk through chapters 1 through 11 in the book of Romans to be reminded of the mercies that you have extended to a people in need of a Savior. And we thank you for the power of the gospel that saved us and transformed us We praise you for your word that grants us the strength to not be conformed, to not allow this world to be conformed to its patterns. We pray now, Father, as we respond in worship and song that you would be glorified, that we would take hold of what we heard in your word today and seek to apply it. For your glory alone, because you're worthy of our best. Help us to live lives of sacrificial living because you first sacrificed your own son so we can be reconciled to you. Father, bless this day. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Be glorified. Let's sing, church.